Hello, Lakeview family, and welcome to the first ever online School of the Word. For those of you who are not regular School of the Word attenders, my name is David, and I'm part of the teaching team for this class. Uh, We've not been having our regular weekly meetings during this stay-at-home series, but uh, Pastor Peter heard from a number of you that you're just missing our times of studying the Word together, and so... Um, Well, he is following the recommended medical guidelines and his um, old man status is keeping him at home so that he's not able to come and record videos here himself. Uh, He reached out to some of us on the team and we just feel the the spirit is leading us to do a short online series that'll be released over the next few weeks. Uh, We're not exactly sure how many weeks this will be. We're kind of just listening and following the Spirit as he leads through this topic and um, leads the elders at Lakeview for the the larger schedule of the church. But I do think the the topic that the Lord has given us to uh, walk through during this season is the the theme of waiting, Um, and waiting specifically as it's seen in the Bible. Um, Obviously, waiting is something that we have all been experiencing just every day during this season. Um, I'm not sure what you might be waiting on the most. Uh, Maybe you're counting the statistics and and wondering whether we've passed the peak and if there's going to be another peak, what phase we might enter when. Uh, Maybe you're not interested in all that many details. You really just want to know when schools and daycares are going to open up so that your kids can get out of the house and a little bit of distance from one another. Um, And if that's the case, I I hear you on that. Uh, Maybe you're waiting on specific plans that have been delayed, plans to visit friends or family in another part of the country, or, or maybe medical procedures that have been delayed during this season Uh, Personally, I'm kind of waiting to see how long I can keep growing this beard out before I have to go physically back into the office and someone tells me to trim it back to a respectable length, whatever that means. Uh, But we're all waiting just to get back to normal. But what I hope we can see in this series is that waiting is also a pretty big theme throughout the Bible. Uh, We have a a long legacy of waiting that we have inherited. You go all the way back to, Pastor Peter would be happy to note, Genesis 3, um, and where Adam and Eve began waiting for the promised one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. In almost every page of the Old Testament, God's people are waiting for something, maybe waiting for a promised child or waiting to be brought into a promised land and be made into a nation as God had had told his people he would. Or after when they're exiled from that land due to their sins, they enter another time of waiting for the one God would send to restore his kingdom and restore his people. And even now that that we have seen Christ come and fulfill those promises, we're still waiting, waiting for the fullness of the kingdom that he has promised, looking forward to his return and his final eternal reign. In a real sense, to be one of the people of God is to be one of the people who wait. But God's word has not just told us that we will wait or even what we're waiting for. It's also given us instructions on how to wait well. And I hope that's what we can see during this series. We're going to be looking just at a number of passages that God has taught us something about waiting and how to wait This first one, we're going to open up into Mark 13. 
Um, and you, you might think of Mark 13 as a passage that's primarily telling us what's going to happen in the future. If you've read this before, you know it's full of predictions and images of things um, that he's telling his disciples to expect to happen in the future. But as we look at the full context of this back and forth conversation Jesus has with his disciples, I think we see that he's not just telling us what's gonna happen in the future, but he's trying to focus us on how we should be living now in light of what's going to happen in the future. We're gonna start here in in verse one, and we're gonna um, skip through a number of verses. I'm not gonna read everything in this chapter just for the sake of time, but I want you to see the, the big picture of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in this chapter. And this opens up in a really relatable way. As the disciples begin this interaction with Jesus, I just find that the questions they're asking are really exactly the questions that I would want to ask in this same situation. So let's read. And it said, And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus has struck a nerve here when he talks about the destruction of the temple. We don't have a building that's comparable to this, the temple and the significance it would have been to the disciples in this time. Uh, it was not only the central of their faith, but it was the central of their cultural and political identity and status. Uh, the, the only way I can even begin to, to try to make a comparable scenario is if I told you that in the same week, the government was going to condemn and demolish your local church building and the White House was gonna burn to the ground. Right, whatever world you can imagine where both of those things are happening in the same week, that's how it would have felt to the disciples here in this passage. It just brought immediately to mind images of the end of the world. Whatever's happening when that happens, that's got to be the end, right? That's, that's how they would be feeling. And, and so they come to Jesus and ask just exactly the same questions we ask when we find situations like this, earth-shattering situations. We want to know the details, Right? They say, come tell us, when is that going to happen? What, what's it going to look like? How, what should we expect when these things are about to take place? That's very similar to the questions we ask around big life situations. What, what's the economy going to look like? When is this going to recover? When are we going to get to go back to work and back to restaurants? Give us the details and the information around what's going to happen. But what I think is interesting here is that, is that Jesus doesn't exactly respond the way he, they want him to respond. He's gonna use this question and he's gonna shift their focus to have them look at something else and ask some different questions than the ones that naturally come to mind for them. We continue here in verse five and he says, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. 
But in, in a sense, Jesus sort of zooms out on their questions. And he says, I know the destruction of the temple feels like that's the end of the world to you, but let me tell you, all else that must happen. You're gonna hear of wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. This is just the beginning. This is the destruction of the temple. That's not the end. There's so much more. And he's gonna go on in this chapter to give them more and more things that are gonna be expected leading up to the end. But, but the phrase he ends with here in verse eight is interesting. He says, these are but the beginnings of the birth pains, which should leave us asking the question, the birth pains of what? What, what is going to be born? What are all of these things, the destruction of the temple, the earthquakes, the wars, what are they all leading to? And he goes on and gives a descriptions of more and more things, of persecution, of false prophets, of something called the abomination of desolation, which we don't even have time to get into what that might be. Um, but in verse 24, he kind of brings it to its conclusion. And here's what he says. He says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light and the stars will be falling from heavens and the power of, in heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus is redirecting their gaze from what feels like an end of the world situation from the destruction of the temple and says, that's only one in a series of things that is leading to the real finale to the coming and the return of the Son of Man. That's a phrase that would have immediately made the disciples think of the prophecy in Daniel 7, where after the image of these beasts of the earth and the nations are defeated and cast down, there's a picture of one referred to as the Son of Man who comes and reigns with God and establishes an eternal kingdom, a perfected kingdom that's for everlasting. That's what the son of man is coming to do. It's no more tribulation. When he comes, then it's over. Then our hope is found. This is what we are to look forward to. I love the, the illustration of birth pains because I, I think it's just a really helpful image for us to think about how we're to see things like tribulation in the world. But birth pains, on the one hand, are, are really a very indefinite measure. But if you've been around a number of births, you know that, that it's really hard to predict exactly when things are going to happen or where you are on a timeline. And I've had three kids now, and um, the only thing I know when, when birth pains are going to happen um, is that there's going to be a birth. That's, that's pretty much the only thing I can tell you for sure. Right? In the last month of pregnancy, you start to get all sorts of predictions about how you know if you're going to go early or if you're going to go late, if you're going to have a long labor, a fast labor, what it's going to look like. And, and my conclusion from, from the births that I've watched with my wife and others is that you just, you just don't know. Right? I can't say like, oh, contractions have started, we've got 36 more hours, and then this thing is over. It just doesn't work that way. But I do know this, that when birth pains start, a baby's coming. When I feel the pain now, or really when I watch my wife's face as she begins to feel the pain now, every grimace and groan from her brings a reminder of the joy that we are expecting. There's a contraction, the baby's coming. There's other pains, the baby is coming. 
It's time to get to the hospital and it's getting intense. The baby is coming. All of these things are supposed to remind me of my hope. That's how birth pains work. Jesus is trying to teach us to see trials and tribulations like wars, destruction of things, famines, false teachings. He doesn't mention pandemics here, maybe just because they don't make the top 10 list of crazy things to expect in the tribulation. But he's teaching us to see all of those things as leading to a definite end. We don't see them as the rest of the world sees them. I've heard it said, I can't remember exactly where, but that the, the fear of modern man is that we are alone in the universe and that we are small in face of the forces of chaos and big things happening around us. There's big things happening in the economy, in global politics, in diseases that, that we're just so small and unable to affect. You, you just feel small in the middle of all of this crazy sea that's going on, but Jesus is telling us, I don't want you to see it like that. I want you to see these things and remember they are leading to my return to my everlasting kingdom. When you see trials and tribulations, remember, I'm coming back. But Jesus isn't done. Once he redirects their gaze, he hasn't actually made his final point yet. He goes on from, from redirecting them, from focusing on a particular trial or tribulation to the definite hope they have in his return. And he says, in light of that, here's how you live. He picks this up in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know what the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Anytime you hear a repeated phrase like that in the Bible, you should focus on what is being said. Jesus is bringing our questions about the future. Right, the disciples have asked him, what's going to happen? Give us the details. Tell us what this is going to look like. And instead, Jesus tells them, don't think about this. Think about where you are now. I don't know when this is going to happen. You don't get to know the details or exactly how long this timeline is going to be. And because you don't know, see his logic here, because you don't know when that's going to happen, you need to be awake right now. He's changing our question as we encounter moments of trials and tribulations. He's trying to teach us to ask different questions like, is this COVID-19 situation making me more awake? Am I more awake today in light of all that's going on to the hope I have in Christ's return? Or have I gotten so overwhelmed and so busy and so stuck in all that's going on, hoping that things will just get back to the way that they were? that I, I, I'm not even aware that my master is coming back? Are we awake right now? Is this a reminder right now of what's coming? Or if you go over to, to Luke's parallel account 
of this. this. This whole Mark 13 chapter is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse, and you can find it repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and when Luke tells this story in Luke 21, he describes two groups of people. He, he describes one group of people in Luke 21, 26, who will be fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Like these are the people who feel stuck in the midst of small, in the midst of all that's going on. Right, whether, whether they're afraid of foreign gods or foreign nations or just the chaos of random godless universe. They're just afraid of what's going to happen as they see tribulations. But then Jesus turns to his followers and says in verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Luke is teaching us to ask the question, are you waiting with fear or with hope? Are you waiting like all of those around you who are just afraid of what tomorrow might bring or do you remember that tomorrow brings your master's return, your certain hope in his everlasting kingdom? I don't want to diminish in that the fact that, that today might feel hard. It, it might be difficult. Birth pains, so I'm told, um, are in fact painful. And that's okay. I think I have some more to say about that in the coming weeks. But, um, but are we only feeling the pain? Are we only feeling afraid of what might happen? Or, or does the chaos and uncertainty and difficulty of this moment bring with it a reminder that he's coming? He's coming back. Today is hard, but he's coming back. Or in Matthew's account of this, He's teaching us to ask the question, are we using our time well while we are waiting? Matthew 24, giving the Olivet Discourse, is immediately followed by the parable of the tenants in Matthew 25. And I think Matthew is putting those together because he wants us to see them in connection. If you remember, the, the parable of the tenants is a story about servants waiting for their master to come back. But a master goes on a journey and he leaves his disciples, his servants, with uh, a small, some amounts of money, some talents. And two of them use it well. They invest it and they work hard. And, and by the, the work of their hands, they're able to double the investment that he's given them. But one of them does not. One of them just buries it in the ground and just sits around waiting for the end to come, essentially. And when the master does return, he commends the two who used their investment, used their time well. And the one who did not, he condemns. In, in moments like this, it can kind of feel like all the things that we have have just been tossed up into the air. Right? All of the, the situations that you were in, the relationships that you had, the, the extracurricular evening activities you did with your kids, the church attendance, all the things you're doing are just kind of in the air right now and we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. I think Matthew's trying to teach us to, to use times like this to say, Am I, uh, how, how valuable are all of these? When my master returns, what is he going to think about the way I've been using my time, the way I've been waiting for his return? Are we just waiting and hoping that all these things are going to fall and we can scoop them back up? Or are we considering the end is coming? As I remember Christ is coming back, let me consider how I've been using my time while I'm waiting. Not just today during this COVID-19 season, but in all of my life, when all of life feels tossed up in the air and I'm considering 
what I should be doing and what I have been doing and what I will be doing. What should I be doing? What does it look like to wait well in light of my master's certain return? Mark 13, Jesus is, is trying to teach us how to wait well. He's not just trying to give us a picture of what to expect in the future. And honestly, if it, it wouldn't work very well as a map. I couldn't use Mark 13 and say like, well, I know what's coming next, right? It's, it's, it's a pretty vague discussion because that's not the point. The point of Mark 13 is for me to consider right now, am I awake to the fact that my master is coming back? And am I using my time now to wait well? Am I using this season of disruption to consider how I have been waiting? Not just now, but for my whole life, for my ultimate hope at the end of this definite plan we've been marching towards where our king comes and establishes his eternal kingdom. Let's use this time to wait well. Thank you for your time, and um, we'll be back again with another episode next week.